One of Abraham Lincoln's well-known quotes goes as follows. We are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic chords of memory will swell when again touched as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. President Lincoln began his first term in office March 4th, 1861, with those words in his inaugural address. We must not be enemies. We are friends. He well knew the boiling turmoil that his election brought to his southern neighbors as he sought to preserve not only the union, but the better angels of our nature as neighbors, friends, and family. Eloquent though his plea may sound to us today, his words failed to prevent the outbreak of a great civil war the very next month. A war pitting neighbor against neighbor, and in some instances brother against brother, father against son. Our current national scene scarcely matches the deadly situation of April 1861, and yet we seem to find more and more ways to be disagreeable with our neighbors, friends, even family, as issues separate us in a manner Lincoln himself could never have imagined. Our instant communication systems bring us immediate news, often without the benefit of factual analysis. We are bombarded with political spin from many angles as we try to sort out disastrous events, sometimes even as they unfold on our television screens or even in our very hands with our smartphones. We sometimes form opinions based on too little information and too much sensationalism. We often share our opinions via email, text, and tweet. Social media lets us share even more. Pictures, videos, impassioned opinions from our friends, families, and from total strangers seeking us, seeking to persuade us through myriad clever stories, memes, and slogans. How many of us have liked or shared or forwarded by email a story without fact-checking, especially when the message fits our own established opinion of the issue at hand? I certainly have. And I've been corrected and rebuked often enough that I'm learning to check facts. More, important, more importantly, I'm learning to consider even more than whether or not I'm relaying the facts or the truth. I'm learning, and I'm being dragged kicking and screaming in this, that there are things in life more important than being right and telling the truth. This isn't easy. As many of you may know, I tend to say what I think sometimes before I think about what I say. I struggle daily to remember to think before reacting and speaking. But the struggle is worthwhile. And we as UUs have principles to guide us in this quest. Why is it important? Why shouldn't we just let our opinions fly out into the world in every possible manner? Surely we should use all of the technological tools at our disposal to spread the truth? Or is it our truth? Do we ask ourselves if opinions with which we disagree could be based on another person's truth? Is it possible each side could be right on a particular issue? A whole set of issues? Can the Republican and Democrat each be right? liberal and conservative, Catholic and Jew, Christian and Muslim, 
Buddhist and atheist. Maybe even Red Sox and Yankees. Can we even imagine a world where we can disagree agreeably? Surely, we say, some issues are much too important for compromise. And on many issues, we can all agree, right? One example, those who commit murder must be removed from our midst and punished. We can definitely agree on that. Or can we? Removed from our midst under what process? To prison? What kind of prison? For how long? Life or the death penalty? Do the worst offenses give us the right to take a life in the name of the greater good of our society? It is not so easy to agree as we might assume. Perhaps the only issue on which we can agree is that we need laws and law enforcement to lay out our guidelines for living together as a society in America and throughout the world. And if our essential goal is living together, should we not attempt to live together as harmoniously as possible? I put it to you that compromise is the only way we can achieve this. And our democratic system of government requires compromise, even though in recent years the art of compromise seems to have faded from the scene. And our own sense of righteous indignation on so many issues prevents us from living harmoniously in our nation, in our state, our community, even in our own family sometimes. We pit neighbor against neighbor, brother against brother, father against son. We have no doubt progressed since the violent days of the Civil War, but how much? As individuals, we may have little influence in bringing compromise to higher levels of government, but here, in our church, and in our community, where we have to come together to get things done, we must practice that art every step along our path. Otherwise, we would have no church or workable community. Our first UU principle is that we affirm the inherent worth and dignity of every person. As many have said in this pulpit before, this is not easy. And we can all think of examples in history and even in our own lives that challenge this affirmation. But when we hold this first principle dear and act upon it, we cannot help but spread a fraternal feeling as we go about in the world. Now, saying or even feeling that we affirm the inherent worth and dignity of every person is not enough. Not until we act on that affirmation. And I propose three watchwords we can use in our daily lives to assist us as we interact with others, especially when we may disagree. The first word is understanding. Webster's gives us a brief but very useful definition of the word understand. To grasp the reasonableness of. The first step in understanding those with which we disagree is to grasp the reasonableness of of their position. If we are faced with a reasonable explanation of the origin of another person's opinion, we cannot dismiss it out of hand just because we think we are right and they are wrong. If we take the path of righteous indignation, effective communication ceases and compromise is impossible.
While it may be difficult to understand the position of another, the second watchword I propose will help ease the path to understanding, and that is empathy. Webster's definition of that, the act of understanding, being aware of, being sensitive to, and vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts, and experience of another. Empathy definitely requires action on our part, and that action is to mentally step outside of our own lives and enter that of another. And here's the most important part, I think. We must vicariously experience the feelings of another. Most of us can do this in our daily lives. We do that with joys and sorrows here every Sunday. We're easily empathic when a friend or neighbor experiences illness or loss or tragic accident. But what about when we see a person in a state of distress because of a hot political issue? Perhaps when we read a letter to the editor on an issue indicating that we disagree with his or her position? Do we move quickly on to the next letter? Or do we take time to read in full in an effort to understand even further, to feel empathy with a person who may feel as passionately from his or her perspective as we do from ours? Can we move toward compromise with some level of empathy for another? And to add even more emphasis on the importance of empathy in our daily lives, just this morning, that tells you how long I take this right down to the wire. Just this morning, I learned of the latest study on traits of the most effective leaders. According to WTOP Radio, this study of more than 15,000 leaders worldwide shows that the single most reliable predictor for success is empathy for employees. It doesn't say you have to agree or even get along, but if you feel empathy and show it to those on your team, you have a much better chance of success. It is in our own self-interest to feel and show empathy for others. And if we can achieve some level of empathy in any situation, we are empowered to move forward with the third watchword I have for you, and that word is compassion. Again from Webster, sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. Now we're really starting down a tough road. Sympathy for another in distress is natural at an accident scene or a funeral or a hospital. But what about at the Thanksgiving dinner table when Uncle Joe spouts off with an angry political diatribe that he knows you vehemently disagree with? It is obvious to you that he is in distress. Otherwise, he wouldn't spew such anger. You're about to respond to defend your position, and what you say next may decide whether you can get along with Uncle Joe at the rest of the day. More importantly, it may decide whether you can even stand to stay at the table, and you know that Aunt Mary's pumpkin pie is coming up later on. So maybe there's a way you can alleviate some of Uncle Joe's distress by starting with something like, um, I understand your position, and I'd like to hear a little more about what led you to it. You've just let him know that you are sympathetic to his feelings, that you understand how he can have such an opinion, and that you want to alleviate his distress by allowing him to explain how he came to his opinion. This is not easy, especially when anger and harsh words are flying around the room or 
the chat room or the Facebook page. But if we can really grab on to our UU principle that all persons have inherent worth and dignity and are entitled to the respect that follows empathy, compassion, and understanding, then we as individuals bring at least a spirit of compromise to any discussion. We allow all of our brothers and sisters in our lives the chance to feel appreciated and valued. We cannot instantly change the whole world, but we can change the world around ourselves and our in our respectful dealings. By honoring our principles, by adhering to the covenant of our own church, in so doing, we show the whole world that love is indeed the spirit of this church. We are a gentle, angry people. We really mean it when we say, come, come, whoever you are. Finally, for evolving a thought process to aid in our pathway, I would propose a list of three questions we might ask ourselves before we speak on an issue, whether in person, by email, Facebook, Twitter, or even by snail mail. Let us ask ourselves first, will what I say hurt another? Second, if so, will the benefit of what I say outweigh that hurt? And finally, will what I say make the world a better place? If we consider these questions, we practice empathy, which breeds compassion, which leads to understanding. If I understand that my fellow man marches to the beat of a different drummer than myself, I allow him the respect he deserves. If I understand where all my fellow citizens come from, I equip myself to come to an understanding with them, which Webster defines as a friendly or harmonious relationship. How much better the world will be when more and more of us enjoy such a relationship with each other. Then we can indeed use the better angels of our nature in promoting the democratic process in our church, our community, and eventually our world. May our lives then truly flow on in endless song. Blessed be and amen.